Well, take your copy of God's Word and open it with me once again to the Gospel of John, and we are in chapter 7. We're going to look at just three verses, uh, verses 37, 38, and 39. John chapter 7, starting in verse 37. Tom York is the lead singer of an alternative rock band called Radiohead. Now, I'm not personally a fan, but uh, this group is pretty popular. This British band was started in 1985. They've been active for 38 years. During this time, they've sold 30 million albums, won six Grammy Awards, and they were recently inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And so Tom York, as the lead singer, he is very famous, and he has a whole lot of money. Well, he was interviewed not too long ago, and I want to read to you something he said about his own life as he looked back on his career. He said, I thought when I got where I wanted to be, everything would be different. I thought it would be all white, fluffy clouds And then I got there, and I'm still here. When the interviewer asked him, well, then why have you done all that you have done? He answered, I'm just trying to fill the hole. That's all anyone does. The interviewer asked him, and what about that hole? And after a very long pause, he answered, it's still there. Well, Tom York learned what everyone learns at some point or another, that there really is this God-shaped hole in the size of every man, woman, boy, and girl, and there is no one else, and there is nothing else in this universe that can fill that hole for us. Only He can. Jesus makes this very point in the passage we're looking at today. We've been in John chapter 7 for a while now. You remember, this is the Feast of Tabernacles. Halfway through the week, Jesus began to teach. Now, we don't know the content of his teaching, but we do know that Jesus did not leave them without extending an invitation. In this passage, in these three verses, Jesus is wrapping up the week of tabernacles. He invites them to come to him to receive this life and this fulfillment that he alone can provide. Since our passage is short, we're going to read it in its entirety. Look with me at verse 37. On the last day... That great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. He who believes, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given 
because Jesus was not yet glorified. We see in these verses that every believer is meant to experience life and fulfillment through Christ. And in these three verses, we're going to see some of the reasons why this can be and should be an ongoing reality in our lives. And first of all, we see in verse 37, there's a satisfaction that is available to us. There's a satisfaction that is available to us. Look again at verse 37. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Now we look at these words, these words by themselves are powerful. But if you want to feel the full force of what Jesus is saying in verse 37, you need to understand the context and you need to remember what it was they were celebrating at this particular moment. John says it was the last day, the great day of the feast, the Feast of Tabernacles. This was a week long celebration in which the Jews came to Jerusalem and for one week they went camping. Yes, they lived in tents. They did this in order to remind themselves of those 40 years when Israel wandered in the wilderness before entering the promised land, literally living in tents and so they did this to remind themselves of how during that time God had led them, God had provided for them. But in the midst of their wandering in the wilderness, there was something that happened. In Exodus chapter 17, the Bible tells us that God led Israel to a place called Rephidim. And when they got there, there was no water. God, of course, was testing them. There was no water. Very soon they became thirsty. Soon they got desperate. And what did they do? They began to murmur and complain. And they said to Moses, is this why you brought us out here? So that we could die of thirst in the desert? God told Moses to take his rod and to strike a rock. It was the rock of Horeb. God said, strike that rock. And when he did, waters miraculously flowed out. And the Bible says that the people drank. Now, fast forward in time to John chapter 7. It's the last day of this feast. And the Jews had a very interesting tradition. One of the priests would take a pitcher and he would march to the pool of Siloam with a big crowd of people around him. And as he slowly marched carrying that pitcher, they would sing and they would dance. They would blow the trumpets. They would blow the shofars. 
When he got to the pool of Siloam, of course, he would fill it up with water and then turn around and slowly march and make his way back to the temple, to the altar in the temple. The celebration continued. When he got to the altar, he took his pitcher. Do you know what he did? He marched around the altar seven times. Why did he do that? As a reminder of that time when Israel marched around Jericho seven times as they entered the promised land. You recall that was the end of them wandering in the wilderness. And so he marched around the altar seven times, and then they had a small ramp that they would set beside the altar and the priest would climb up on top of that ramp and he would hold that pitcher up as high as possible and for a moment there was a hush over the crowd there was silence as they all waited in anticipation of that moment when finally he would pour the water out and when it splashed upon the altar below, the people erupted in cheers. Now they were cheering because this water, as it hit the altar, it represented that water that flowed from the rock at Horeb in Exodus chapter 17. But even they understood that that water from the rock of Horeb and that water that splashed upon the altar was a picture of another water, a greater water. Because when they were finished cheering, they would conclude this ritual by all reciting together Isaiah chapter 12, verse 3. And since they all recited Isaiah chapter 12, verse 3, why don't we just all recite together Isaiah chapter 12, verse 3? Therefore, with joy... You will draw water from the wells of salvation. The wells of salvation. Now think about that. We don't know the exact moment when Jesus cried out in the temple, if anyone's thirsty, come to me and drink. We know that there were thousands and thousands of people there, especially on the last day, the great day of the feast. We know that Jesus would have to cry out as loudly as he could for the people to hear him, and we know that he would have to have done that at a time when the people were not all making a bunch of noise. Now, if I can just use my imagination, maybe, do you think, perhaps, Jesus waited until that very moment when the priest held up that pitcher, that very brief moment when it was silent, that moment when you could hear a pin drop, and maybe in that moment Jesus broke the silence and he cried out, if anyone's thirsty, come to me and drink. 
And I imagine every head suddenly turned. They wanted to know who said that. And lo and behold, it was Jesus. Whether or not Jesus spoke these words at this particular moment, the point remains the same, and we can clearly see what Jesus was doing. Jesus took that story from Exodus 17, and he took that ritual, that tradition of the water splashing upon the altar, and he, in this moment, applies all of this to himself. And he said, I am the rock from which the living waters flow. I am that well of salvation from which you can draw. If anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink. The rock of Horeb was a picture, and Jesus was the fulfillment. By the way, this is exactly what the apostle Paul said about this in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 4 when he said, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. When Jesus cried out in the temple that day in verse 37, he really was giving them the gospel in a nutshell. And I want you to notice three key words in verse 37. Every one of these is so significant, so important. Thirst, come, drink. Say it with me. Thirst, come, drink. It starts with thirst. If anyone thirst, how many of you have ever been somewhere or you've been in some situation where you were, you were so thirsty you could not think of anything but your thirst? Well, to thirst is to crave something that you do not have. And in this case, Jesus is talking about a thirst of the soul. When you go without water, your body gets thirsty. You go without God, your soul gets thirsty. And when Jesus said, if anyone thirsts, to thirst means that you acknowledge that there is a need, that we need him. The real reason why many people don't come to Christ is because they do not believe that they need to. They either deny the thirst that is within them, or they think that they can quench that thirst in any number of ways. And a lot of people will waste a lot of time try, trying out a lot of different things before they eventually come to Jesus. Maybe for some of you, that's your story. Jesus said, if anyone thirsts, but then that second key word is the word come. Come where? Jesus said, come to me. Many try to quench this thirst by coming to the waters of this world, the waters of pleasure or money or comfort or entertainment or sex or power, to name a few. But none of these things can provide anything more than temporary fulfillment. And hear me carefully. There are many things in life, many good things in life, blessings from God that are good and they're wonderful, but they do not ultimately fulfill us. I'll say on a personal level, being a husband is awesome. Being a dad is awesome. Being blessed 
To be able to do what I love to do is awesome. These things are great. None of those things fill me. And none of those things will fill you the way Jesus can. Come to Jesus, he said. Notice this is an open invitation. Who can come? Jesus said, if anyone thirst, let him come. And when Jesus said, if anyone thirst, that means that anyone who does thirst can, in fact, come. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter what's in your past, what you've done. Jesus said, come to me. If you're thirsty, you can come. Someone will ask, well, what does it cost? Doesn't cost anything. The only qualification is that you thirst. If you thirst, come. Your ethnicity doesn't matter. Your gender doesn't matter. Whether you are rich or poor doesn't matter. Whether you are famous or forgotten doesn't matter. Just come. Three key words, thirst, come, and the last one is drink. In this case, to drink means you do with your heart what you would do with your hands and your feet. If you were thirsty and someone stood with a pitcher of water in front of you, you would take it. Now, in this case, how do we take this water? Jesus really tells us in the next verse when he says, the one who believes. The one who believes is like a bridge in between what Jesus said in verse 37 and what he said in verse 38, to drink, in this case, is to believe, to place your faith in Christ, believing that he is who he claimed to be, that he'll do what he says he will do. It does not matter how much water you have in your possession, you will die of thirst if you do not drink it. And likewise, no matter how much you know about Christ, even if you were raised in a Christian home, in a godly church, you must drink this living water that Jesus offers. You must drink it for yourself. You put all of this together, thirst means we acknowledge our need. Come means that we see Jesus as the solution to that need and to drink that means we appropriate or we seize this living water by placing our faith in Christ. This is the offer of Jesus. And let me just ask you this. To whom does Jesus make this offer? He made it in John chapter 7 to some very religious people at a religious festival because even they needed to drink this living water. But I also want you to notice that in the immediate context of John 7, Jesus makes this offer to his enemies. He's offering this living water to his enemies, to those who are plotting to kill him, and to the officers who were sent to arrest him, and to the people who called him a deceiver, and to those who said that he was demon-possessed, to all of them, Jesus said, if you are thirsty, you can come to me and drink. And the fact that Jesus made this offer even to his enemies, that's one more reason why we should love him and follow him and take and drink of this living water.
And so we see there's a, a satisfaction that's available to us. We also see there's an abundance that flows from us. There's an abundance that flows from us. Look at verse 38. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Out of his heart. Technically, in the Greek, the word is belly. Because back then, in Greek thought, the belly was the seat of the emotions and the will, the center of the person. That's why most English translations say, out of his heart. But notice this, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. We first got a glimpse of this living water when we were in John chapter 4. You remember the story when Jesus met the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well, and he said to her, whoever drinks of this water, the water in that well, they will thirst again. But he said, whoever drinks of the water that I give, he said, this water will be a fountain of living water that springs up into everlasting life. So we already know that this living water that Jesus is referring to is the everlasting life that Jesus provides in everything that comes with it. But I want you to notice, in this case, in John chapter 7, Jesus takes that idea and now he carries it a step further. This time, he says, you will not only drink of this living water, but he said, this water will flow through you to those around you. Listen, it is one thing to be full. It's another thing to be flowing. We come to Christ, we drink living water, and then rivers flow from our satisfied souls. Notice Jesus said, as the Scripture has said. Apparently, Jesus had Scripture in mind when he made this statement about rivers of living water flowing from us. We don't know exactly which verse Jesus was thinking about in this moment. I mean, really, there could be a dozen different verses that speak to this, which he may have had in mind. He may have been thinking of that time in Isaiah 15 when he talked about a future king who will be as rivers of water in a dry place. Maybe Jesus was thinking about Isaiah 58, 11, when God said that one day his people would be like a spring of water whose waters never fail. We may not know which exact verse Jesus was quoting in verse 38, but we do know this. We know that there is nothing, and I mean absolutely nothing, in this statement. There is nothing to suggest that what Jesus is describing is the exception and not the rule. Did you catch that? There's nothing in this passage to suggest that what Jesus is describing about rivers of living water flowing from us is to be the exception and not the rule. Jesus does not say, this is what you should strive 
for. And maybe one day you'll experience it. Jesus did not say, this is what some of you might achieve. No, Jesus is describing what is supposed to be the normal experience for every born-again child of God, that we would take and drink and enjoy this living water, and then that it would flow from us to touch all of those who are around us. And please understand, I'm not suggesting that this means we won't have problems. And I'm not suggesting that this means we'll never get discouraged or we will never get depressed. But I am saying that rivers of living water flowing through you and me should be a constant reality in our lives. The world should look at our lives and our lives make Jesus more attractive to them. The world should look at us and say, where can I get me some of what you've got? But all too often the world looks at us and says, I'm sorry, Jesus did that to you? Oh, that's terrible. So many folks fail to understand this. They only think in terms of them being satisfied. And they never think in terms of them being the means of satisfying others. And so I have to ask this question. Does verse 38 describe your life? Does the life within you flow to those around you and if not, why not? And why isn't this the reality for many professing Christians? Well, perhaps the answer was actually in the verse before when Jesus said, if anyone is thirsty, come and drink. That verb drink is in the active tense, which means to drink continually. We come to him and we initially drink the waters of salvation, but then we keep on drinking. We continue to come and drink by worshiping and praising and through prayer and through surrender. We continue to come and to drink, not because we have to for our salvation. We keep on coming and we keep on drinking because that water is so good. But if we fail to keep coming and to keep drinking, the rivers stop flowing. Arthur Pink described it this way. He said, a vessel will not overflow until it is full. And to be full, it has to be filled. That's so elementary, but that's so important, and that's so powerful. There's this satisfaction that's available to us. There's an abundance that flows from us. But then we also see the Spirit who lives within us. Look at verse 39. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. In verse 39, 
John inserts a parenthesis and he explains to us exactly how Jesus is going to bring about these rivers of living water flowing through us. And John says, he, Jesus, spoke concerning the Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who causes this to take place. Now, Jesus is going to talk a lot more about the Holy Spirit later on in the Gospel of John, and so I'm not going to try to say everything there is to say about the Holy Spirit here, but I will say the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, He has always been active in the world. He was active in creation. The second verse of the Bible literally says, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would indwell certain believers for a time. In the New Testament, however, we see something different. In the New Testament, believers receive the Holy Spirit and He lives in us. Now, let me remind you, John is writing this in the second part of the first century. So he's looking back in time, what for him was many years ago, and he points out that at this point in John chapter 7, the Holy Spirit was not yet given. What does he mean by that? He is saying Pentecost had not yet taken place. Pentecost, that event that you can read more about later, it's in Acts chapter 2, was that time when God sent His Spirit who then lives in us. And from that point forward in history, starting in Acts chapter 2, from that point forward, every believer receives the Holy Spirit who lives in them the moment they are saved. Now, how do I know this? Notice very closely the exact wording of what John said in verse 39. Who receives the Spirit? He said, those believing in Him. Did he say, some of those believing in Him? No. Did he say, a few of those believing in him or most of those believing in him? No. Those believing in him, which means everyone who believes in him. Nowhere does the Bible teach that only some believers receive the Holy Spirit, as some of our Pentecostal friends suggest, Or that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is some separate event that we're all supposed to pray for and look for. And then one day, if by chance we experience it, we'll start to speak in other tongues and say weird things that we don't understand. No. John makes this very clear. Those believing in him receive the Holy Spirit. Period. Somehow, someway, the very Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, he comes to live inside of every born-again child of God. Now, what does he do? He points us to Christ. He comforts us. At times, he convicts us of sin. He enables us 
to endure suffering. He helps us to resist temptation. He gives us power. He produces the fruit of the Spirit in us, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All of this is the work of the Holy Spirit in us, and all of this together is like rivers of living water that flow from us to the spiritual desert all around us. And yes, what Jesus is describing here can and should be the reality of our lives on an ongoing basis because there is this satisfaction that is available to us. Jesus said, if you're thirsty, come and drink. And there is this abundance that flows from us. He said, if you believe, rivers of living water will flow from your heart. And there is the Spirit who lives within us, producing all of this in us, making this take place. This reminds me of a story years ago. There was a Peruvian ship that was sailing off of the eastern coast of South America, and they saw a very peculiar sight. They saw a ship from Spain that was anchored in the water, and the crew appeared to be in very bad condition. As they came closer, they saw the crew out on the deck. They were dying of thirst. And so the Peruvians yelled out, can we help you? And the Spaniards replied and said, yes, water, water, we need water. And so the Peruvians replied back and said, lower your buckets. The Spaniards assumed there must be some misunderstanding. We're in the ocean. We don't need salt water. And so they yelled back and they said, no, we need fresh water. Please, can you help us? And once again, the Peruvians were a little bit surprised and they said, lower your buckets. This went back and forth for a while. And then finally, they said, why not? They lowered their buckets. And when they did, much to their amazement, the water they pulled out was indeed Fresh. Fresh water in the Atlantic Ocean? How is this possible? It turns out that their boat was anchored outside of the mouth of the Amazon River. And the Amazon River is the most powerful river in the world. It pushes 60 million gallons of fresh water into the Atlantic every single second. And as a result, that fresh water is pushed out and it extends about 100 miles into the Atlantic. And that is exactly where that ship was anchored they were far away from land, far enough that they could not see it, but they were close enough that that fresh water was right there beneath them all along. They were dying of thirst right on top of an 
inexhaustible supply of life-giving water. I bet you know where I'm going with this. Shoot, I bet I could stop preaching right now and every one of you could come right up here and finish my sermon for me. Likewise, how many people are there who spiritually are dying of thirst? And Jesus, the inexhaustible source of life-giving water, is right there waiting. And he says, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink. Lower your buckets and draw water from the well of salvation. Join me as we pray. God, we thank you for giving us this living water through Jesus Christ. That all we have to do is just acknowledge our thirst, come and drink. And that's it. You made it so simple. We thank you, Lord, that you made this possible by sending your son, Jesus, who loved us enough to come from heaven to earth, who lived a perfect, sinless life, who then died on the cross for us, taking our place, suffering for our sin, rising from the dead, so that he would then, as the living Lord, be able to offer this living water to us. And so, Father, my prayer, first of all, is that for every person here who does know Christ truly as Savior and Lord, that having drunk of this water of salvation that we would continue to drink, not because we have to, but because we get to, because we want to, because the water's so good that we would not neglect coming and drinking. And God, I pray that it would be our normal experience that rivers of living water would flow from our hearts to all of those that are around us. But God, I think about those who perhaps need to drink of this living water for the very first time. And we know that almost 2,000 years ago, Jesus stood and he, he preached this sermon. He preached these very words he extended this invitation to the people he pleaded with them those who who needed to be saved to come and to drink and the invitation has not changed that's the same invitation that you give to us right now if we're thirsty we just come and drink and so father help us to do that if there are any here today who need to receive christ as savior and lord we need to place their faith in him. God, I pray that this would be that moment that they lower their buckets and call upon the name of Jesus, asking him to save them. You promise you'll do it. Have your way, God, in these next moments. We pray these things in Jesus' name.